Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Kitchen Club is kindly sponsored by Sweaty Betty, who make the best yoga clothes ever. Yoga has had a really positive impact on my relationship with my body, but wearing the right clothes is also key for a mindful practice. Let's face it, we've all been there in down dog. You know you should be focusing on your breath, but actually you're wondering if your pants are on show or you're fighting to keep your top from falling over your eyes. So true. The girls at Sweaty Betty have answered our prayers. Their all-female design team of yogis have created amazing quality clothes that look great, feel awesome, and allow you to move really freely. So if you're in need of a little push to get on the yoga mat, or just an excuse to invest in some quality clothes to move in, Sweaty Betty are very kindly giving Kitchen Club listeners a generous 20% off, so you can practice in comfort and style. Simply enter the code Kitchen Club at the checkout online. And if you need a bit of inspo, Serena and I have both been living in the Garudasana pants, which are hands down the most comfortable thing I've ever worn. I literally can't take them off. Me neither. They need a wash. Don't forget to tag us in your sweaty Betty pics on Insta at Kitchen Club Podcast. We bet you will all look wonderful. Thanks, sweaty Betty. Thank you. And welcome to Kitchen Club with me, Sarah Malcolm, and my wonderful host, Serena Lauf. Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from around our kitchen table. Each week, we have a new guest coming to share their area of expertise, and we get stuck into a new recipe created using our guests' three favorite ingredients. We also ask our guests to share what we call their healthy habit, which is something that enhances their well-being, and we then dive a little deeper into it when they come to talk to us. In this episode, we're speaking to the lovely Isa Robinson. Isa is a registered associate nutritionist and nutritional therapist specializing in disordered eating, food anxieties, body image, and nutrition for mental health. She works one-on-one with clients in London and online, as well as speaking in schools and offices, sharing her knowledge of subjects such as non-diet nutrition, intuitive eating, and stress management. Izzy's ingredients were fresh figs, feta, and tahini, and these were definitely inspired from her recent trip to Corfu with her family. And Serena worked her magic. We recorded at Serena's and she cooked up the most perfect autumnal warm delicious salad it was so good 
So head to Kitchen Club Podcast on Instagram for the recipe. It will appear there soon. Without further ado, we are delighted to have the wonderful Izzo Robinson on Kitchen Club. Hi, Izzo. Hi. Welcome to Kitchen Club Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's lovely. lovely. lovely Twins. Jinx. Jinx. We just had dinner. The three of us. We did. Tell us a little bit about your three favourite ingredients that you told us about. And you told us them quite a while ago, didn't you? I I did. I think I told you early September, maybe. So when I told you guys, I mean, I love food. So picking three is really, really challenging. Um, But I just got back from a holiday in Corfu and we had so much delicious Greek food. So I went for tahini, feta cheese and figs because they were some of my favourites on the holiday. What a combo. (laughs) A good three. And we had... um... A really great meal just then, didn't we? We did. Serena? I like to think so. It was actually really yummy. We scored it 10 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> really? That high? Oh. Tell us what we had, Serena. We had a warm, it wasn't that warm, but when you guys cook it at home, it will be warm. <laughs> a warm I was late. It was my fault. <laughs> it was a warm farro salad with roasted butternut squash, roasted figs, edamame beans, rocket, baked feta, a tahini maple dressing and then some ducca, which is like a, you toast up loads of seeds, like fennel seeds, cumin seeds, coriander seeds, and then you crush them and sprinkle it over the And top. you do it with hazelnuts. Hazelnut. So and hazelnuts, yeah. yeah. And sesame seeds. Um, so it's like, just like flavour boost. What would Melissa say? Flavour bomb. Flavour bomb. bomb. And, and texture bomb yes, as well. Yes, too, true. Two in one. Love a crunch. <laughs> My mum has to have something crunchy on her food, always. The thing that's crazy... We are, I'm not sure what number episode we're on by now, but this is our second person to say figs. Yeah. And our second feta and our second tahini. But figs is quite a weird one to have had two. Oh, I love figs. I love them dried and fresh. And actually, when we were in Corfu, we went kind of searching for for a fig tree because we had this lovely vision of fresh figs from a tree. Um, But we didn't find them, but they were in the supermarket. when they're like warm from the sun yeah and gooey yeah, yeah. Oh. we had it in in france on retreat didn't we yeah the fig tree outside your mm-hmm. kitchen so, it was nice. so good so you were one of the first people i ever knew of that was doing a food blog back in the day goodness oh gosh, so funny <laughs> um and i just wanted to know how you got into cooking and how your relationship with food and with cooking has changed since the goodness guru days. Yeah, it's been quite a long, hate the word, but journey, actually. <laughs> so I started Goodness Guru, which is now is a Robinson Nutrition, after my first year of uni. So it would have been 2013. And growing up, I always had a really good relationship with food. I absolutely loved cooking always. I had one of those easy peasy children's cookbooks and I would always go home from school on the weekends and kind of bake something, take it back to school. It was very popular. (laughs) And then um, in my later teens, um, really sadly in many respects, but all too commonly, I think I um, fell into the pressures of needing to look a certain way. And my relationship with food um, really took a dive, I guess. And it was a really difficult time where I guess food was a bit of an obsession, something that needed to be kind of controlled and something that made me very anxious and unhappy. 
And when I started Goodness Guru, I was in a much better place. But I do think perhaps that um, the element of healthy food as opposed to just thinking about all food as perhaps being neutral and nourishing and and food having different purposes. So for example, um, we might think uh, of vegetables as being more nutrient dense, but then um, having a slice of birthday cake as nourishing our social health or our emotional health and, and thinking about food a bit more like that. And um, just after I kind of started Goodness Guru, I was at university. I went to University of Edinburgh where I had the absolute best time. And I was kind of interested in the growing wellness scene and culture and healthy eating, I suppose. But I was also having a very... um, Student time. Student, yeah. I was having the full Monty of student experiences, I guess. And so whilst I was posting lots of pretty porridge, actually, I was still having a lot of wine and and pizza. Please drink responsibly. And kind of pizza with friends in the middle of the night after a night out. And I guess I kind of, when I was around um, some of the wellness culture stuff, I guess I just didn't feel like it necessarily 100% aligned with what I was doing. Not because... Um, I was being critical of it but I guess I almost felt like I was only showing one dimension of the life I was living and potentially misleading people and that was when I really started to think about how there could be some undersides of um, particularly clean eating. So I wrote my dissertation in my first year of Edinburgh on um, the rise of the eat clean movement and how it can and I think that's an important word to use, how it can, um, not always, but can be a mask for restrictive eating and disordered eating habits. And I finished Edinburgh and I wasn't quite sure on my next steps, um, but I was now, you know, fully into a healthy relationship with food myself and a much better body image. And I'd, I'd overcome that experience that I'd had in my in my late teens. And I decided that actually I would really like to help others that might be going through that and also learn about nutrition from a more objective lens, not potentially through the lens of um, needing to control or look a certain way or micromanage um, food and eating. Um, So I started at CNM, which is the College of Naturopathic Medicine, to become a nutritional therapist. And then after a year of that, I applied to my master's at UCL um, and I just completed that. So that was in eating disorders and clinical nutrition. So (laughs) um, I am now a uh, registered associate nutritionist. Um, literally as of Friday I think I got everything come through congratulations I'm very excited I'm also a nutritional therapist so I guess I have both kind of sides and that's kind of been the process I guess from I guess promoting uh, nutritious eating or healthy eating quote-unquote to thinking more about how the ways we think and feel about food are just as important as what we actually put on our plate Mm. and really thinking about that relationship with food um, and the importance of that Um, and I guess that's kind of how it's evolved since the goodness screw days goodness screw um she's got a real a real place in my heart goodness screw does but um she's not out there in the big wide world anymore when did you Um, decide to make that switch on a sort of branding level but also probably yeah yeah so that's a really yeah I've I made the switch last September. So I made from Goodness Guru to Isa Robinson first. I wanted to, to actually get my qualifications before mm-hmm. I put nutrition in there. So that was actually much more, that was this September. So I had a year between those. And I guess I 
um, have made some mistakes, as I think people do, but that are also really important to learn on as you kind of move through your journey and particularly with conversations around clean eating. So I wrote a blog post September 2018 on kind of five mistakes I've made in five years um, from someone who's, you know, 19, you know, first learning about Mm. social media and, and maybe putting things out there that actually it 22, 25, you think, you know what, maybe that's a boundary that I should put up for myself. So I wrote that five things I've learned in five years or kind of five things I've got wrong about um, promoting, I guess, fads, um, about the way that perhaps I talked about clean eating. I put that all out there and I did the name change and then sort of got rid I put the post so that stayed, but I got rid of maybe all the, all the other stuff that did, mm. didn't align with not only my values, which changed, but also aligned with evidence-based science that I was kind of becoming more aware of the importance of in terms of this big kind of buzzword health yeah. um, and what that means. It's pretty brave to call yourself out on those things and to see that that was a massive learning curve, but you did that in a really short space of time. Yeah, I think um, I think it's important. It's okay to make mistakes. Yeah, I absolutely. think, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. And, and to anyone that has made a mistake, you know, you know, we're only humans. We're and learning. actually, exactly, and every mistake is a learning opportunity. But I think that that's the most important thing, that we're always learning. And so that we perhaps don't repeat our mistakes. And um, particularly for me and my Instagram, I am cautious that I have decided to talk about a particular topic Mm. which is disordered eating our relationships with food and um eating disorders in many Mm. respects and so when I'm thinking about posting what I'm doing it's now more than ever I'm always thinking who might be the most vulnerable person who's kind of seeing this content and have I protected them in putting it out there given that I've decided to talk about this so I think just in terms of um owning up to mistakes um putting them out there saying what you've learned and then using those lessons in terms of going forwards has yeah. been a really important learning process for me yeah. and I think you touched on it a minute ago about how you were putting stuff online that wasn't reflective of how you really were I yeah that resonates so much it resonates with me oh my gosh yeah I, I know I when I was like really into eating well and was sort of doing it alongside trying to develop a relationship with my polycystic ovary syndrome diagnosis and I would be like really attached to eating well and would post lovely photos of food and then my friends would be like oh Sarah's eating chocolate or Sarah's eating this let's take a picture and and like put it everywhere and I was like at the time I was like oh my gosh and now they sort of say say it in fun and I think well, do because that's just yeah. how I eat it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was so funny. I just remember waking up in the morning and I'd make this bowl of porridge and, and banana on the side and the swirl of nut butter. And I just remember having this point where I was like, I can't be lying. And I had this smoothie jar and I put my gin and tonic in it. And I remember pre-drinks <laughs> one evening, snapping it and thinking, you know, sometimes I put gin and tonic in my smoothie jar. And some of my <laughs> friends being like, what are you doing? And being like, no, I think I need to be be honest and be a bit more real about what I'm doing. And I always actually think that compared to what I posted when I was goodness guru, compared to or what I 
kind of how I ate when I was going to screw in terms of lots of kind of fun foods and um, foods that feed the soul and that I just eat for pleasure and and then more nutrient dense foods and how I eat now is is not that different Mm -hmm. it's just that what I chose to hone in on and put in my perfect square then was hyper focused on the more nutrient dense stuff and I think that that can be a really important thing to think about for lots of people that consume social media and think, oh gosh, how do they, you know, be so, um, how do they eat nutrient-dense foods the whole time or gym the whole time? You know, their square does not have to be in real time. You can post a picture that was taken two years earlier. Mm -hmm. You can just choose to post one certain thing. And I feel like maybe I'm just aware of this kind of thing. So I I hear that all the time, but I think it is something that we really need to reiterate because it's such an easy trap to get caught Mm -hmm. in. Even if it is a photo from that day, it's one second out of 24 Mm. hours. Yeah. A hundred percent. You can be doing whatever you want for the other 24 hours. So true. Yeah. I know we all need to, I feel like every bloody Instagram photo should say that at the bottom. Like just a little yeah disclaimer she actually has like a really normal life yeah <laughs> yeah that and it's interesting I w- I've been doing some um uh reading on um social comparison theory and there's a great dietitian that I follow in the U.S. called um Marcy and she talks about this a lot but we compare up so we'll always compare to people that we feel are better than us and so we're always usually going to feel worse Um, and actually the way it impacts the brain um, can actually really be quite significant and there was another study I think that came out recently where they asked people to give up Facebook for five days or they could continue Facebook as usual and their salivary cortisol and perceived stress after five days Facebook free came down wow yeah so it really is actually I mean, that's just getting into screen time, I guess, mm-hmm. more generally. But this stuff is having an impact on us. It's terrifying. Mm. And on our bodies, not just, not just the mind. Yeah, on yeah. On our physiology as mm. well. So when you started at CNM, yes. was, were you ever wanting to be a nutritional therapist or was that always a stepping stone towards what you do now? Yeah, so I... <laughs> I'm not sure if I should say this live on a podcast as a nutritionist now, but I hated science when I was at school (laughs) and I gave up, I don't, I didn't do uh, GCSE chemistry or physics. I just did biology and I think it was one of my worst GCSEs maybe. (laughs) And then I did no science A-level and then I did geography at university, I did human geography. So um, I basically made it around stuff that I was interested on. I, I think I had to do a project in the Western Isles of Scotland and I managed to make it on um, this carrageenan pudding made from seaweed and how that was a sociocultural element of this place <laughs> because I was like, I need to write it on something to do with food. Otherwise, I'm not going to be that interested <laughs> in it. And um, so the reason that I actually ended up going to CNM is because it didn't require me to have any science degree prior and actually I really loved my CNM training the student clinics were amazing and so invaluable and you don't get any of that in a university degree having said which there was quite a lot of subjective um stuff flown out and people have very strong belief systems about certain topics such as vaccines etc and that's not to really say that nobody can have their own opinion but I do think we need to be really careful around those conversations and the evidence and not let fear-mongering and scaremongering run away with us Mm. and then 
it was really after a year that I really knew that it was the disordered eating stuff that I was interested in. So I emailed the head of the course at UCL, despite my lack of science, who shares my surname. And I'm pretty sure that was the only reason that he answered my email. And I was like, dude, please let me on this master's. Like, I'm coming. And um, despite the fact I didn't have the prerequisites, he just encouraged me to apply. And wow. two years later, we're sat here. Yeah, yeah, and he's been a, actually a really amazing supervisor. So I think I, I was actually in a cafe in East London drinking good coffee at oh, the time. Of course, <laughs> the best. Um, Isa has a theory that the coffee tastes better in East London. <laughs> it definitely does. Yeah. It definitely does. Let's go with that. <laughs> so Isa, now that you are qualified as of last yes. Friday, <laughs> how, how does your work now work? So you have your clients mm-hmm. and what do people usually come to you for? Yeah. So I still very much am being open-minded and curious about, I sometimes think that I'm just like patting around in the dark. Like I'm like, does this work (laughs) over here? Sorry, you can't see me doing that. Yeah. So I spent one day a week in an office working for a company, um, doing quite a lot of their data analysis and nutritional consultancy type stuff. Um, And I actually love that because I get to be part of a team for a day, which is really nice and gives me some structure and reliable income and then the other four days of the week I am seeing clients so uh usually my clients find me through Instagram um and actually I don't like to call them clients I like to call them people because they're people first and foremost and usually they'll come to me if they would like some help with their relationship with food uh usually they don't have a uh, clinically diagnosed eating disorder and I have to be really careful because I'm obviously not a medic and if somebody is experiencing an eating disorder, they can be at real physical and mental risk. And I certainly wouldn't want to play doctor or, you know, any kind of role out of my scope of practice. So usually somebody is within a a sort of healthy BMI, although that's not necessarily any good indicator of health, but they're not at physical risk. And um, they've perhaps had an eating disorder uh, years before and, you know, they're managing, but actually there's a lot of cognitions and intrusive thoughts and uh, a a kind of tape that plays in their heads around what they shouldn't, shouldn't eat, um, when they should eat, they should be intermittent fasting, they've held on to perhaps carbs are bad. And I just want to stress that none of this is their fault. It's mm-hmm. this kind of toxic culture we live in and this all this confusion and where belief systems sort of cherry pick from science to back up their opinions. So none of us really know what's what. So it's really not to say that these people have done anything wrong or should be blaming themselves in any way, but usually they would like some help with that relationship with food and um, kind of checking into their body signals a bit more, a lot of work on body image. Um, so we kind of go over that and um, hopefully I give them some tools and um, things to try. And we, we talk about reframing lots of views on food and going over where beliefs might have stemmed from. So where particular beliefs such as, um, you know, carbs are bad, ha- has come from where that kind of came in, what's reinforced it, what's maybe questioned it and how we might be able to reframe that through a more objective lens. Because mm. mm. I still think it's it's still very, a, a definitely a thing like this yeah yeah and I think it's so often just so deeply entrenched um that even when we do know the objective facts it can still be very 
challenging to change um, behaviors or change an opinion. So you might think, oh, no, I know that, but I still, you know, I still feel better if I, I don't know, for example, maybe um, uh, sugar. So, oh, no, I know maple syrup's the same as caster sugar, really, when it gets into the body, it's glucose. But uh, I still feel better if I use maple syrup because I still, I don't know, it's, it's, it's that deep and it's, it's, you know, I know, but um, so really trying to unpick that, I guess. So it's very slow, very slow process. It um, can often be two steps forwards, one step back. Um yeah. And I just work with the person on their kind of needs, preferences and goals. So we really look at what they'd like to get out of working together and how we can work together to achieve that for them. Mm. That links into something Sarah and I were chatting about before you got here, which we guessed was probably something that you see a lot with your your people, <laughs> is guilt around food. Yeah. And how how people can like treat themselves to that piece of birthday mm. cake or whatever, but actually not enjoy it because all they're feeling is an overriding yeah. sense of guilt because they feel like they shouldn't be eating that. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of guilt around food and increasingly guilt around not exercising is a real thing that's coming up for me. Um, that if I haven't exercised, I feel guilty and do not allow myself to eat perhaps as much as I would like mm. to, or my body is kind of telling me. Um, so that's definitely something we work along. And I think guilt is a really interesting thing to study and, and look into the literature on. And it's really interesting how um, guilt has been used quite a bit to change consumer behavior. So um, if we look at um, keep cups, for example, that guilt and the kind of, it's become, you know, a bit of a faux pas now if you have that plastic cup it's a bit like you know yeah it's you know and I think it comes back to again we're talking about it's okay to make a mistake you know if you forget your keep cup every now and then you know but you're you're kind of the intentions there and you are doing it 95% of the time it's okay but it's interesting to see how it plays out there but it's interesting that with food actually often when there is that guilt that emotion or or feeling of guilt it can often make us feel less in control of food and actually spiral into perhaps over eating something or eating it in excess of what we might have originally intended and and that kind of spiral so it's interesting that it seems guilt often backfires when it comes to our eating and yeah there's a lot of work I guess to manage to manage that and a lot of education on why we shouldn't ever have to feel guilty for eating because uh food keeps us alive you know we don't feel guilty about going for a wee you don't think oh god I'm gonna be so good today and I hold that in all day god guys I've had such a good day no your body tells you need to pee and you go pee do you know what I mean yeah so I think it's just about thinking that actually our bodies need nourishment food nutrition whatever you want to call it all the time and guilt has no place in in eating um you talked a little bit on intermittent fasting yes we wanted to actually like break down these these things a bit didn't we so I mean you touched on both of the things I wanted to ask (laughs) so the first one was being sugar yeah what is so we'll start with that what is the difference between refined sugar and unrefined sugar okay and how they work in the body yeah so great question I love this one and I can answer it is this there I'm like oh my god am I clued in on the the latest literature 
So actually in the nutrition and dietetic community, um, so nutritionists and dietitians, there is common consensus that we need to move away from refined and unrefined sugar as the terminology we use because it's actually very misleading. And instead, we want to think about free and non-free sugar. So non-free sugar, or I guess... Actually, no, non-free sugar is sugar that is contained within the cell structure of food. So that might be glucose or sugar that is in a potato, all right? It's in the cell structure or in a banana or in um, starchy foods. And essentially that glucose, because it's within the cell structure, doesn't lead to such a rapid rise in blood glucose Mm -hmm. um, because there's fiber and so that's a much slower release. Free sugar is sugar that is added to foods. So sugar that might be added to um, bakes, like sweet foods, or um, I know that people are like, oh my gosh, you know, all these everyday products are now so much higher in sugar. So it might be that manufacturers might put some sugar in um, a tomato soup because it kind of makes the flavors a bit stronger or a pasta sauce, etc. So those would be free sugars. Now, when the NHS and all of the public health guidelines talk about the need to, you know, be cautious around sugar or or limit sugar. They're talking about free sugar. Non-free sugar, which is also in dairy products, so lactose is the sugar in dairy products, is fine. That sugar is within the cell structure. There are so many other nutrients in those foods. Um, So, for example, if we think about dairy, we've got calcium, we've got B12, we've got protein, we've got phosphorus, we've got so many amino acids, we've got so many other things in there and that's not going to have that rapid um, rise in blood glucose. And it's free sugars that perhaps um, we might benefit from reducing a little bit if our diets are very high in those. Mm -hmm. So where do these unrefined healthy sugars come in? So maple syrup, coconut sugar, honey, they're all free sugars. So this idea that they are more nutritious actually is a bit of a myth. And they might contain some more trace elements, but we'd have to literally be drinking gallons of the stuff. Yeah. And so the amount that we'd have to take in for some of the minerals or whatever would just totally negate the amount of sugar we'd have. So my advice would be vitamins and minerals stick to your you know, everyday meals. And actually when you want something sweet, just really enjoy it for the fact that it's just tastes really good. And I love calling those foods from the intuitive eating book, play foods. They're just foods that are part of playing. They bring us pleasure. They bring us joy. They're maybe about a social experience. And a way to kind of think about that is if your parents made every play date you had as a child educational you get pretty fed up pretty quickly (laughs) and the same thing kind of comes with food we you know food is more than just um nutrients and uh antioxidants and and it's amazing that it does contain all these things and can be so beneficial for our health but actually food is also connection it's culture it's tradition it's Mm. um social it's pleasure and it's It's travel, it's adventure, it's so much more than just kind of getting every meal right to to meet your body's needs, you know. So play foods as well. I love that idea. (laughs) I only travel to eat. Yeah. I love traveling and just having, it's like, what, a bit like my trip to Greece. (laughs) Yes. I feel like you're about to break my heart. Where 
would dates be on the free, non-free spectrum? So I believe that, so this is the other thing that's a bit confusing. So I feel like dates are in the non-free sugar because it's within the cell, but date syrup Mm. would be a free sugar. Okay, nice. I can live yeah, with that. Yeah, but also I think, <laughs> but I think the the real thing to stress there is that nobody's saying you can't have free sugar. No, I you know, nobody's them, saying though. nobody's saying no free sugar. Nobody's saying you can't have those foods. They're just saying that the difference is this, and let's not confuse the unrefined sugars into the wrong kind of category and, and pretend yeah. that they're super nutrient rich, etc. Yeah. Exactly, and actually, caster sugars a lot cheaper yeah, very <laughs> and yeah. because the unrefined refined thing is really just reinforcing that we need to feel guilty about some exactly. foods and we should be eating things and we should be feeling bad if we don't exactly yeah it feeds it enjoy your play foods and then intermittent fasting yes tell us a little bit about that okay. and if people don't know what that is maybe we just give a little yeah so there's loads of terminology i think there's intermittent fasting there's time restricted feeding and then there's calorie no continuous calorie restriction so i think yeah so continuous calorie restriction would be just like a diet so you're like always on a diet i think that all kind of rubbish if i'm honest (laughs) not because the evidence is all rubbish but i think you know anything where we're really having to be hyper vigilant about when we can't eat kind of gets in the way of just the freedom to just live an enriched life then there's time-restricted feeding, which I think is what Sachin Panda, who's done a lot of the research are kind of on this um, circadian rhythms and fueling our bodies according to our circadian rhythm. That's where that's come from. So that might look like the 16-8 or the 14-10, where you kind of would have an eight-hour eating window and then a 16-hour fasting window. And then intermittent fasting might be a bit more like the 5-2, So where you'd have um, five days of normal eating, quote unquote, and then two days of um, restriction. So in terms of the research, it's all, um, I mean, it's a bit all over the place. There are some really compelling studies that um, intermittent fasting may um, improve longevity in rats (laughs) and fruit flies. (laughs) And worms, I think it is. Wow, good old So worms. if you look like a rat or a worm or, or a fruit fly, um, and I don't mean that in terms of, um, I mean like if you are a rat. That came out so wrong. That came out so wrong. I tell you why I said that, because I, I, I talk about this in a presentation and I say like, if you look like this and I put a rat on the screen, like an actual rat, like a very furry rat. So none of none of any of the listeners look, look like a rat. Look like, <laughs> no, like a rat. Okay. <laughs> oh dear. Um, I think I dug a hole there. Um, I liked it. I dug a hole. Um, yeah. So if you're a rat or a fruit fly or a, or a worm, then you know maybe think about it. There are other studies that have shown benefits in um, individuals that have diabetes. So there is some research there. But for the most of us, um, it will be no more effective for weight loss than any other diet actually and that's sort of where we where we are for the most part in terms of advice that I might give as a nutritionist in terms of people that are thinking about this uh, would be you know for most of us if you're getting about eight hours sleep which I actually know is not necessarily most of us but actually perhaps thinking about prioritizing our sleep and then thinking about how that's eight hours and then if you've got a few hours either side actually you are doing 
a fast overnight without even thinking about it. And, you know, maybe before taking on really extreme types of, um, I don't know, an intermittent fasting like a 16-8, maybe thinking about actually prioritizing your sleep and maybe bringing in dinner an hour earlier or breakfast a bit later. But if your body's not adjusting to that, if you don't like it, if you do like your breakfast first thing in the morning, which Mm. lots of us do, or if you are you know, getting home later and your partner or your flatmates have dinner at a certain time. And that's a really lovely social experience. You know, we've got to think about health in that 360 degree context. So it's not just a fast and our physical health, but it's, it is that social element. It is that psychological element. It is that spiritual component. Mm. And so really thinking about all the different elements and not just needing to sort of um, micromanage um, food and eating. Yeah. So I think that's mostly where um, intermittent fasting is. Um, by all means, if, if there's listeners that want to try it, then go for it. But I would say, please be very cautious. If you do have a history of disordered eating or an eating disorder, really perhaps not for you and any other health condition or um, pregnancy in particular, please make sure that you speak to your GP and actually, you know, I know it can sound quite harmless. Oh, I'm just going to change my eating habits. But these things can take over quite quickly. And, you know, if if you're pregnant or something, that's actually really not going to be something that you want to do. That's a really interesting take on intermittent fasting. I hadn't really Mm. thought about that, that like you could be telling yourself, oh, it's so much healthier for me to do this. But actually, if it means that every night you and your partner have dinner separately, that's not not going to be nourishing in terms of life. Yeah. Nourishing nourishing maybe was the wrong word. No, but you know what I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. really like that. I think that's And also if you're say going out for dinner with your friends but it's yeah. like past your eating time, eating bedtime. Exactly. And then you'll feel yeah. guilty and then the, the and whole then cycle. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And I think, yeah, it all comes back to this idea as well of being able to be flexible. So, you know, if you did try intermittent fasting, can you break from it for for a week or from a whatever a night if you wanted to spend an evening with friends or family or whatever it was um but for most of us if you are going to sleep at night you are having more than enough of an adequate fast yeah um yeah especially if you're you know in good health to begin with well I'm glad you say that because I tried intermittent fasting and I was like I'm gonna do a week Everyone raves about it. I just want to see what it's about. Did like two days and just caved. I was like, I love breakfast. <laughs> I love so breakfast. I love breakfast. So much, yeah. So, much. so we are now want to move on <laughs> to your healthy habit. Okay. Which I really love. I loved it. I think it's fab. Tell us about it. Okay. So guys, I was talking to you before I came on about um, how much I love going to kind of conferences and seminars mm-hmm. all on different topics. So two September's ago, I did a two-day body image workshop with uh, two dietitians, one from the US and one from Australia. And they introduced this concept to me and it's by somebody called Jennifer Pasteloff. And I don't know exactly how to pronounce her surname, mm-hmm. but it's called beauty hunting or beauty seeking. And it's all about actively seeking out beauty rather than I don't know, passively waiting for it to come to you. So um, you can have a kind of beauty seeking or hunting journal. Um, You can take photos and it's all all about trying to find beauty in your everyday and really having that as an active practice rather than just um, being passive about it, I guess. 
I really loved it. And I've, I've been working on this. I've been working on this for like a couple of weeks as well. And it's just really lovely to to find yourself in a really negative headspace that's not the lovely part but when you find yourself in a negative headspace and you're like oh this sucks or whatever and then to recognize that and switch it and be like actually how can I make this how can I spin this and have a positive effect and I think when you asked us to do this it was really lovely because I then got on the bus the next day at six in the morning and it was raining and pitch black and I was like oh I'm so tired oh it's horrible oh I want to be in bed and then I started to notice all of the beautiful things that were on my journey and I I started writing everything oh this is so nice please read me your list so nice but it sounds really creepy Sarah thinks it sounds like a poem oh I love it introducing Sarah Malcolm poet laureate because I forgot there was beauty hunting um <laughs> it sounds really creepy okay these are all very separate and for some somehow they've they've worked together okay this is it beauty book by sarah malcolm <laughs> the headlights in the dark morning mist the deep belly laugh the nursery rhyme coming from next door which serena said was so creepy oh no i like it letting go of time people sitting and enjoying life crumbs of pastry <laughs> the nape of your neck which also sounds like and she doesn't mean your neck is it although your neck is lovely she means tears for tears <laughs> and they were just little things that I collected that's so lovely Sarah's doing book signings for the next week <laughs> no I'd like I'd like a weekly kind of poem now from you Sarah yeah. I'll be listening in to catch them I, mean, I, hope, I hope that's what you you <laughs> You had in your mind. Yes. It's just like, no, hun, that's not it. <laughs> no, no, it is. It is. It absolutely is. There is no right or wrong. It's just about, I guess, exactly like you said, actively cultivating beauty rather than, I don't know, what society tells us beautiful is. Yeah. I took a less poetic approach. <laughs> and I thought about it when you sent us your healthy habit when we um, when we booked in our recording. And the first thing that really sprung out at me was either by capturing it by photo or writing it down. And I was like, you know what? The photo thing I can't do because I will get caught up in like trying to take the perfect picture and then being upset when the picture doesn't look good enough or the picture hasn't really captured the beauty of the thing I've seen. Mm. So I was like, no, can't do the photo. But writing it down or even just thinking of it, I love. Because as Sarah said, it makes you notice the positive in really mundane situations. And something, this is quite poetic, something I was, that I've been noticing this week, which I said to Sarah earlier, was I don't think I've ever before noticed how beautiful autumn leaves are. And I've been, and I, now that we've got this dog, this dog, <laughs> Indy, our gorgeous puppy, <laughs> and I have to go out walking a couple of times every day. I'm walking through, and like the sun hits the autumn leaves, and it's every shade of orange, and it's just stuff. I don't know if it's an age thing that you know, maybe when I was younger, I just didn't notice. But I'm really definitely nature. I think nature is my big one with beauty yeah. hunting. I'm really appreciating yeah. that the dew on the grass, uh. the 
Amberly burnt Amberly. <laughs> so even the rain when like the lights kind of glisten and yeah. there's all the traffic and it's raining and there's all the reflections. Yeah, exactly. So I think for me, beauty hunting was like finding bits of nature in London mm. and yeah. having that as like a little oasis away from the city. I think it's a lovely one. I think a lot of people could benefit from from inviting a bit more of that in. This is what you said. Um, the goal is to deepen our awareness and appreciation of the kind of beauty that comes from within and in the way we view the world rather than how we were taught to perceive beauty. Equally, in a world of pain and sadness, it can be about actively seeking beauty and what's right in front of this, right in front of us. That's so nice. Yeah. I think another one is when you witness, you know, like there's so much bad stuff happening that you start to really doubt humankind. Mm. And then when you see strangers do kind things... Mm. Like when, when like a really gangster guy gets up and gives a granny his seat on the tube and you're like, yes, yeah. that makes me so happy. Yeah. I think things like that. Yeah. yeah. And also I, I love, and um, for me, I, in advance of this, I was thinking about this last week, just the, yeah, the beauty in people and not the beauty in terms of what they look like, but the beauty in their personalities and their uniqueness and authenticity that actually is totally not necessarily visible to the eye, but actually really finding the beauty in um, some somebody's kind of character, mm. I think. And I definitely feel like I've had a lot of that, particularly with speaking to kind of friends this past week and even clients just wow actually there's so much beauty yeah. kind of radiating from within you that I can't see from necessarily just looking at your face but wow what, what a beautiful person you are yeah oh so That's even if you do look like a rat a fruit fly <laughs> or a worm oh my gosh you can see the beauty within you <laughs> thank you Serena <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very for much. We're going to put all of Iz's details in the show notes so that you can find out a little bit more about her and do reach out if you would like to work with her one on one and start your own beauty beauty hunting. <laughs> yes, yeah, start beauty hunting and let us know how you get on. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thanks Thank for coming, Dave. Well. It was lovely having you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Iza. It's so refreshing to get a really honest and no-nonsense answer to some of our foodie questions. And I definitely think a lot of us could benefit from eating a bit more intuitively. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're all guilty of putting too much pressure on ourselves and around the food we eat. And actually enjoying food is human and natural and should be a source of pleasure. Like Iza said, how we connect and communicate with others around food is so important. So to hear it from her as a professional... I feel like it takes the pressure off us a little bit. Definitely. If you want to cook the roasted squash fig feta salad that we made for Iza, then head over to at Kitchen Club Podcast on Instagram. And we would absolutely adore it if you've been loving the episodes to quickly go and rate and leave a review on iTunes. So thank you in advance. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.